You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to. That one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. And kick old trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick old trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Kick him out the Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano and the program will be podcast. Unfortunately, our producer is in Sin City for the day. Could you imagine that? Just flying to Sydney and back for the day. This is what happens when people get part-time employment. You just can't trust them. Our guest is in Brisbane town, an icon at 4 Z. Mr. Ian Kerr. How are you, Ian? I'm good, Joe. How are you? I'm brilliantly well. Michaela here, who's done all the technical stuff because I'm technically inept, is going to disappear because she's got things to do. So if the line falls out, some very talented people from the front, including your very own Inez, who's now at 3CR, will wander down and put us back online. How does that sound? Queensland people are showing you Melbourne lot what to do. Excuse me, Sonny Boy, what year were you born? Uh, 1950. You bastard. Yeah, I'm senior to you, Joe. I'm pulling rank, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, I was born in 51. Were you born at the Royal Brisbane Hospital in Hurston like me? No, I wasn't. Where were you born? I was born in Orkinflower in a private hospital. Oh, that explains it, doesn't it? That explains the difference. Private hospital at Orkinflower in 1950. What were your parents, millionaires or something? It was a falling down house and my um, my parents were bro- bone motherless broke. What, what were you, a charity delivery, were you? Pretty much. <laughs> so I assume, like me, your parents have gone to the other worlds? They have. Yeah. Can you tell us much about your parents, where they came from, what type of people they were? My parents were cousins. Cousins. Oh, first, second, third or fourth? Uh, second, once removed. Uh, kissing cousins, then that's okay. Once removed is all right. They, they, did, they didn't follow. They didn't follow the Egyptian pharaohs. No, they didn't marry their sister. But they did follow Archbishop Jewick, who had to give them the Catholic Archbishop of Brisbane had to give them special dispensation to get married. Oh, I remember Archbishop Jewick. Yeah, he was a supporter of the fascists. Of course, he was. They all were. Right. <laughs> Don't you understand that Mussolini and Hitler were heroes in, in Australia in, in the 30s, the New Guard movement? You know, it was wonderful, wonderful time. But he built a church on top of every hill. Yep. Well, 
You want to and be, now they're all worth millions and billions of dollars. And that's why you always want to be higher than those pesky Anglicans that stole all the church property during Henry VIII's period. Isn't that correct? Yes. Um, you haven't told us about your parents. What were their names? Tell us what they were like. What did they do? Where did they come from? My dad's, my dad's name was Joe. <laughs> Very nice and, name. Uh, he started life working as a jackaroo. Yep. Out west. Yep. And my mum, her name was... Well, it's a, her name was really Jane Mary Betty. Mm-hmm. Um, her family called her Bet, but everyone called her Tina. Right. <laughs> Queenslanders, you know, we, we, that's the way it goes. I was delivered by an Italian doctor. What was his name? I, it wasn't Dr Castellani, was it? I'm not sure. But I bet you it was. I'm going to tell you a story about that because there was yeah. only one Italian doctor in Brisbane at that particular time, and that was Dr Castellani. And he actually was a fascist doctor that was sent out with three other fascist doctors by Mussolini in the early 1930s to North Queensland to set up clinics for Italian migrants. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. And I bet he would have been very sad because he saved my life at birth. Yes. The cord got caught around my throat. Yep. And uh, the nurses were couldn't figure out what to do, mm. he stormed into the room and, and saved me. Well, and that's, I that's gasped for air, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, um, very nice of him. He, he, he'd, be, he'd be pretty upset to think no, that he saved no, the life no, of a no, he, budding he, red. Like many old fascists and Nazis, he reinvented himself. If it was Dr Castellani, and he was, or Castellano, he was based in Fortitude Valley, and he was the doyen of the Italian community in the 50s. He even got some Australian honour honor as well as an Italian honour. Yeah. I remember so you, one day, you, you like this, I was five, right? You like, And there was only one Italian shop in the, in Brisbane, Fortitude Valley, and, yeah. we'd, and we'd go there for the lemon granita. My old man w- would take me and my two sisters down there maybe once a month or once every six months from granita. I remember yeah. I must have been six or seven, and the great man you know, who was talking to the masses, you know, as he did, had dropped some money on the ground and I picked it up and I gave it to and I motioned to give it to him. He said he said, Give it to the boy. Let the boy have it. How's that? Now I'm still <laughs> worried about the facts here, uh, Joe, because you remember um Doctor Salento. Oh uh, no, well Salento, they're not real Italian. Well they were born here. Why aren't they real Italians? They were born here. Castellano was sent here from Italy. He was born in Italy. I'm not a real Italian. I'm, you know, I'm Italian heritage. Doesn't make me an Italian. Well, you know, he ran the health department, didn't he? Well, that's what I mean. The, the clientes were a very, very important group or a family in yeah. North Queensland, and. Uh, uh, they were kind of a disparate bunch. He had them; they were all over the place on their political and uh, environmental credentials. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was him. Yeah, because um, I don't think it was though. Because um, your your Doctor Castellani, Castellani, did you say? I think that's what was how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, that that's more rings a bell with me because yeah. my mother, um, she she actually. Got along pretty well with that guy. Excuse me, you're not his son, are you? 
<laughs> no, well, well, come on, come on. They said yeah. that I came. I'm the only one in my family that's dark. Yes. You know, that my three siblings are, are blonde-headed. Right. Um, I better watch what I say here because. Sibling, <laughs> are your siblings still alive? Pamela Kerr, you you know her. Yeah, yeah. You gave her a. a um, Eureka Australia medal. Yeah. That's it, and um, yeah. you also gave another mate of mine a Eureka Australia medal. We must was, have been desperate. Who was that one? Bob Walker. Oh, yeah, good old Bobby. Is he still alive? No, his son came and got That's it. right, he picked it up. I remember that, yes. And, that's, and you mightn't remember, but I, I strolled up to you outside the Ballarat town, town Hall. Oh, right. And you were heavily engaged in conversation with the mayor, who she <laughs> uh, had put up the Eureka flag. Yeah, she was very the only, the only decent Ballarat mayor since 1854, I hate to say. <laughs> no, seriously, I she was. I believe you. She was a decent human being. The rest of them, uh, heap I was of shocked cons- by Ballarat and how conservative uh, it was. It hasn't changed. It's got worse, mate. It's got worse. Yeah, but it was, that was a very good that that would have been about twenty eleven, twenty twelve. That's you, right. Yeah, she um, was she was very inclusive. What yeah. she did is she brought the disparate elements that celebrated, uh, irrespective of their position, political positions and ideological positions, together. Uh, and uh, we used to have meetings with the mayor once every three months or so. Yeah. And she knew how to... Uh, I re-met her, and she's now, I think, one of the, uh, what do they call members of the Ballarat Cemetery, you know, the, the governing group, whatever they call yes. them. Now, let's get back to you. This is boring. This is obviously boring, people. We, uh, look, I said to Inez, have you got any dirt on Ian Kerr? And she said, yep. oh, and she said he's a lovely human being. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what's the point of talking to a lovely human being? Oh, no, she's covering for me. Is she? Yeah, she, she knows the dirt on me. Well, she was she was station manager. She would know. She's now, very diplomatic. All know? right, you were born in Orkinflower. Where did you go to primary school? Catholic, I assume. Yeah, a Bridgetine convent in Drapilly. Very nice, very nice. It was a co-ed, boys and girls. That's it. And I went there till the fourth grade, and uh, then I went to Nudgee Junior College, which was a Christian ooh, brother's school. Oh, Nudgee. I used to hear stories about Nudgee when I was a lad at Maruka State School. Were those stories, stories true? Hey, what sort of stories did you hear? Well, the type of stories that were brought up in the uh, Royal Commission on Institutional Child Abuse. I was never abused by the Christian brothers, but no. I know... People who were right. Okay. All right. So, what was it? What was it like going to um, school with the Christian Brothers? Was it was it tough? Easy? What? Um, I didn't like school, mm-hmm. um, but then I just sort of didn't. I didn't really fit in properly at the school because you had to be very good at sport, and I was really no good at sport. Well, you haven't got any eye eye coordination. Was eye, eye hand coordination? No, I, I don't know what it was um, because I am, you know, even a, a man of 73, I've just finished a a 1,200-kilometre a ride. We're riding from... Um, I'm dying here. A 1,200-kilometre ride. What yeah, were you riding, riding, a bloody from, camel or something? We're riding, we've been riding from Canberra to Havana. We've arrived in Havana. What, in Cuba? In Cuba, yes, and it, We've completed... Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's talk about this later. I'm just so confused. Let's do this 
chronologically, all right? I mean, you got to Havana on this 1,200-kilometre ride. But... Yeah, it's a, it, we do it by putting it onto a, a website and everyone contributes. We've got 60 riders and we Excuse um, me, is this a virtual ride? It's a virtual ride. I'm not interested. Let's go back to high school. Okay. We can talk about the virtual ride later on in the program. You know yeah. me, I'm a 21st century Luddite. Now, it's called From Australia to Cuba with Love. I'm you want to end the US blockade. Do you? Mm. And I'm, tonight I'm going to interview the Cuban ambassador who's coming to Trades Hall here. Well, it's interesting, you know. Well, could you... I got my plug in, didn't I? Yeah, well, could you... Yeah, it's Trades Hall tonight, Cuba, Cuban ambassador, what time? It's 6.30. Yep. And um, that's it. That's Brisbane Trades Hall, not Melbourne Trades Hall. Of so. course, yeah, you're in Brisbane. But anyway... If could you ask the Cuban ambassador a question privately for me? Yes, I will. I'm being serious. She, she's a new ambassador, obviously. That's right. And she had promised the West Papuan office here in Melbourne that she would come and speak on the 11th of September and are in the process of buying her ticket and she withdrew. So I'm wondering if there any political pressure was placed on her um, to withdraw from that speaking engagement. Well, I don't know. Well, I'm asking you to find out. You're, you're the bloody reporter. You're interviewing her. Do it privately, right. you know. Do it privately. Just ask her. Because we, we would have been very keen for her to come along. Now we've got to do some virtual shit with, you know, people in Cuba because she couldn't – she withdrew. Mm. Well, of course, the Cubans have been very supportive of both uh, West Papua and East Timor. Over well, the they had been. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why she was invited. And they were sending doctors. And they still send doctors to East Timor. That's right. Now, let's get back to the bloody high school yep. down at Nundi Brothers, Christian Brothers, whatever it is. So did you graduate? Did you get to year 12? I got to year 12, yes. And, and were you one of these brilliant working class students who was ready to attack university? No, I was average <laughs> and I went straight out to work. Average? Yep. Didn't you get a Commonwealth scholarship? No, I didn't. How come you're average? You're no good at sport. You're average academically. What's going on? Was that caught around your neck kind of affected your intellectual capacity or something? Uh, no, no. Uh, I just, I was, you know, I mean, the world is not made of the elite. You know that. <laughs> well, this is a program. We've got 56 <laughs> minutes. We, unlike four triple Z. We have no community announcements on this program anyway. We do on other programs. No ads. So I've got to, you know, you know, build it up. Yeah. All right. So you left. What did you start? What did you do? This was 1970 or 69? Uh, no. Um, it was 1967. I was 16 years of age. So you didn't even do year 12? Yeah, I did 12. All I was right. 16 yeah. when I did 12. Yeah. And then I worked. I was still 16 and I went and worked at the, um, the Department of Immunology at the University of Queensland yep. as a laboratory cadet. I may have. How many years were you there for? I was there for about a year and a half. Right. And then? And then I entered medicine. Yep. And I paid my way through first-year medicine, yep. and then I got a Commonwealth scholarship. Yep. Keep going. Did so you... I, we were probably in this probably... A year apart in medicine, you yeah. and I? Yeah, we would have been. I started, I think, 1970. That's right. Yeah. You so, started um, in 69. I started in, I started medicine in 69 as well. 
Yeah, I started in 70. There was about 350 people in first year. Yeah, and about 180 in second year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They failed half of them, but yeah. I managed to get through, so they gave me a Commonwealth scholarship. Right, and did you finish your medical degree? No. Um, what happened? I, you didn't get involved in the anti-Vietnam moratorium movement, did you? I did. Went, I went to the uh, moratorium march in the second year. Yep. Um, and uh, but that was I, I failed second year. What did you fail physiology? That was pretty hard in those days. Uh, no, I I failed biochemistry. Well, then you should have been able to repeat it. I did repeat. Yes. And um, and then I failed the repeat year. Ooh, I've forgotten the professor. Uh, he used to call in the students who didn't actually just were you know near the Eric Saint. That's right, good old Professor Saint. He, he called me in yep. and he said, "You're just not good enough." Ooh. <laughs> and uh, he, he saved my bacon. He saved your bacon. You mean you don't want to? You don't want to be like me, forty-seven years in the medical profession and yes, still I practicing. Not want to be part of the medical industrial complex. Yeah, you like me. You know, I'm still practicing. Haven't got it right yet. So I didn't learn much at Saint Lucia University, did I? No. <laughs> All right, so he failed you. He said it to you, Eric. He said, piss off, yep. son. We don't need your type. Exactly. And what happened and, after um, that? Did you try, you know, did you take up alcohol and drugs or did you just get on with life? No, I just got on with life and I went and worked on Fraser Island. What were you doing and, there? Um, you weren't culling dingoes, were you? No, I was managing their airport and their gardens. Right. Like when I say manage, I was making sure the grass grew on the, <laughs> on the tarmac. The uh. And I made sure their grass grew. And I took, uh, with an Irishman, I took people on tours in this six-wheeled Judy Baker truck. Right, right. It was owned by the uh, Doug Anthony's brother. Really? Yeah, they used to fly in pissed on Fridays. Yeah. And um, sometimes they would crash into the sea. Yeah. And sometimes they would like hit the runway, but I had all of these, uh, you know, those old sprinklers that go berserk, berserk, berserk. Yeah, yeah. And when they when the water hit their windscreen, they just suddenly turn the wheel around and their nose would go into the <laughs> into the grassy yeah. <laughs> sort of sandy aerodrome, and they're all pretty pissed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, if you weren't pissed, you wouldn't be flying in Queensland in those days. Yeah, one guy did drop his plane into off. Indian Head there, yeah, yeah. and uh, that's where they called Indian Head because Captain Cook saw the local bachelor people who lived there, mm, and mm. and you know he called it Indian Head. Mm, but you yeah, know they mm. that those people have only just got their land back. That's right. Recently, how did yeah. you? Um, how many years did you um, kind of hang out there for? I did odd jobs for years and years, uh-huh. but. Part-time, I completed a science degree. Right. This was during the Bielke-Peterson era. That's right. And yeah. I... Um, Did I, you supplement I, your science degree with political activity? I I was mainly... Um, I, I waited till I graduated and then I just went political. Right. And uh, Bielke-Peterson, we were organising uh, pickets against the... Uranium mining and export. That's right. And at the Hamilton Number no. Four Wharf in Brisbane, mm-hmm. uh, we had a close relationship to the Waterside Workers Federation. Yep. 
and we stopped the ships by sitting on the railway tracks and by getting on the wharves and the yeah. wharfies would, wouldn't load the ships. Yeah, what year was that? 1977. Well, these years they just run over you, you know, that it's a different ball game with unions. Yeah, well, um, it depends on what union you're dealing with. Well, bullshit. Look, I we've got a... I'm involved in a big campaign. A lot of people at 3CR and other groups are involved in the campaign regarding public housing. And there's a woman called Margaret Kelly who's resisted eviction because they're going to knock down this public housing estate in a, a gentrified part of Melbourne and replace it with privately owned flats. That's public land. And they're going to get 100 community housings, which are private housing. And we've been... And yesterday... You may have noticed the construction union boss federally spoke about a super profits tax going to housing. Now, yeah. we've been begging. We've been begging the unions here in Victoria to put a, a green ban on the demolition which has begun on this estate to, to raise the profile of public housing. No interest. None whatsoever. Well, that's bad. It is terrible. Yep. yep. I mean, th th this is an opportunity begging. They're interested in housing. Bank, public housing, bang. This is an opportunity. All they do is just slap a green ban, raise the issue in the public's mind. All right, let's move on to you. All right, so how long did you last at Fraser Island? Uh, I, my mate, who was a cook there, got the sack. What? He poisoned everybody, did he? Uh, no, no, he was he was a good cook, actually. Um, uh, it was some storm in the teacup, and they sacked him. So I, I went out with him in solidarity. I just... Oh, I right, went. yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Hopefully, you, hopefully you didn't have a family at that stage because I think you'd think twice about going out and sign out if you if you if you if you weren't single. No, no, I was I was sing, single. I didn't really ever believe in marriage, and I never got married. Right. Well, I did get married once, but it was not that kind of marriage. It was in order to um, ah. uh, to go to Latin America. Really, yeah, we don't want to know about it. People listen. You don't want to know about how I was deported. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I would. I want to know about that. But if you did something illegal, we don't want you to get prosecuted because occasionally people, we may get one or two, like your program at Four Triple Z. We get a few listeners occasionally. You know that. I do. I, yes, I listen to you. <laughs> you poor thing. Now, appreciate <laughs> <laughs> the good radio station. Of course it is. That's why I've been yeah, here for so long. I went long. to one of the early meetings in the Collingwood Town Hall. It would have been about nineteen seventy-six. Yeah, that's right. To uh, set the it BLs up. were still laying the bricks. That's right. That was a different ball game in those days. Now and they were protesting against the freeway then. That's right. Yep. And the, uh, uh, the what do they call them? The the Monash Malice, Malice came over and took over the meeting and oh, typical. Ended up being out, out on the street, uh, stopping the traffic. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get back to you. What's this? Yep. So you got married. What did you get married for again? Um, the plan was that we would stow away on a ship, we'd go to Panama. <laughs> right. But we got caught in Wellington in New Zealand. Why did you get married to stow away on a ship? Oh, this doesn't make we sense. We were told, we were very young, yep. and we were told that if you if you were, like, married, yes. you're sort of more acceptable in Central and Latin America to the authorities, like... Yeah. If you're just a single person, they might just chuck you in a jail or yeah. something like that. But if you're married, it sort of gave you more respectability. Uh-huh. Do you remember what yeah. year this was? Uh, 1975. So this is at the height of all the um, 
kerfuffle in South America when people began to jack up against the United States exactly. Imperial That's Empire. All right, so you got on a ship. How far did you get? We got to Wellington in New Zealand. Right. <laughs> and uh, we got busted and put in prison. My, my partner then, Corin, got put in North Island prison and I was put, uh, put in Mount Crawford, yeah. a, a very cold place, and most of the inmates were Maori. Yeah, yeah. So uh, don't tell me that a treaty of Waitangi is necessarily, uh, you know, a... A, a golden pathway to the future. Well, it may not be a golden pathway, but at least it's a foothold to the future. Now, getting back, so who deported you? The New Zealand government. Yep, they took they uh, they dragged me out of. Uh, I was put in solitary confinement, and I went on a a hunger strike. Yep. And about three days after I was taken there, I was dragged out at three a.m. in the morning. Mm and taken down to Air New Zealand, the airport at Wellington. Mm. And then I still handcuffed. I didn't know what was happening. And they presented me to the desk of um, New Zealand Airlines. Mm -hmm. And the person on the other side of the counter said, so have you got any luggage? I said, yeah, I've got a toothbrush. (laughs) That's all I had. And they they walked me to the door. Mm. And pointed at the plane, then undid the handcuffs and said, off you go. <laughs> climbed on board and flew, flew back to Sydney. Now, do, do, do you understand the irony of all this? If this happened today, you would be charged under the Anti-Terrorist Act because you would be designated as a foreign fighter who was going overseas to participate in... Uh, you know, as a mercenary, well, not as a mercenary, you know, as a revolutionary or radical or whatever, and you could be jailed for up to 25 years. So you're lucky you were just deported, mate, and it wasn't 2021 or 2023. Yeah, but at that stage, Joe, I wasn't, even though I was active, I was not known. I had never been arrested. I, it doesn't I matter. It doesn't matter if you're known. You were going to an area where there was civil strife. We're not interested in. We're not interested in your bloody excuses. You need to be jailed as a terrorist. I was arrested (laughs) under the Seamen and Shipping Act. Well, no wonder you were deported. (laughs) See, in the good old days, in the good old days, you could actually get a good passage on on a ship as long as you're in with the Seamen's Union. They were quite happy to. Yeah, that's what the Seamen told me. Yeah, we're stowaways. Yeah, I, I should have gone and. Slipped them a tenner and they would have got me on, on yeah, board. And yeah. We did. Go, we wanted to visit some friends in New Zealand on our, on our voyage. And, oh, uh, my God. We did God. get to see them through oh, the, right. okay. the bars. Right. <laughs> Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waived, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So when you came back to Australia, was this pre or post? 
Whitlam's dismissal? I uh, came back to Australia and it was still pre the Whitlam dismissal. Ah, so you would have just walked into the airport and hopefully had the handcuffs taken off by then. No, the Australian Federal Police called us into... I was with my girlfriend. Yeah. They called us into a side room mm. and and said, uh, now, we've, hear, we've heard that you've been stowing away on a ship. Mm. Uh, could you tell us about what happened when you arrived in Wellington? Mm. So I told them what happened. I was put on the deck of the police boat mm. in the sleet, taken to the Wellington Watch House, denied um, a blanket that night. We were both freezing cold. We couldn't go to sleep mm. by this very hard uh, watch house sergeant. Mm. And they said, well, what was the guy's name? And I, I don't remember it now, but something like Fitzpatrick or something. Mm. And they said, yeah, the old bastard. We used to work with him. And they laughed. <laughs> they laughed and they said, oh, you're free to go. So I said, well, 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 why are we in here? They said, we just wanted to find out what if that old bastard is still like he used to be. <laughs> he didn't like Australians, obviously. All right. Were you gainfully employed after that? Were you making heaps of money, mate? No, I never made heaps of money. What's wrong I, um, with you? You were, you were born in a private hospital. You started off on the right track. No, no, we were poor. It doesn't matter. You were still born in a private hospital. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know what the go was there. I don't know why I was born there, really. But um, the the thing was, um, I had, I you know, I worked in every every job I could find. And in mm. those days, it was even easy. with three, 30% of the people in my graduation, mm. in my my area of science, um, only 30% of them got jobs. What was your area of science? Um, I was, I had a, a major in zoology uh-huh. and I did my, my honours in uh, marine biology. My God, they'd snap you up in an instant today. Maybe, but not then. Not then. No, no, nobody believes in climate change. Robert Endine and all these guys were all uh, bigwigs and they were all pretty right wing. Yeah, I remember Robert Endine, yeah. Look, uh, you you may find this hard to believe, but we're halfway through this chat. This is Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne. This is uh, Radical Australia. I get a bit confused sometimes, Ian. Don't worry, I get the programs mixed up. I've got to that age. This is Radical Australia. We're chatting with... Ian Kerr from 4 Z. I'm not at 4 Z anymore, Joe. What do you mean? What? You've been rubbed out? I was cancelled, yes. Oh, okay. Well, get this. This oh, i got a bit of dirt now. This sounds interesting. But let's go back. 75, you did tons of odd jobs and what? You never grew roots anywhere? Never bought a house, boat, horse? Uh, I With a friend... Mm. I bought a boat uh, for three thousand mm. dollars, and I lived on the river near um, the University of Queensland. Right. And uh, for three years, I lived there. Yeah, it was that's and, quite nice, isn't it? Well, it was it was <laughs> very ordinary boat, and and but yeah, it was it was it was pleasant. Mm. Mm. But I, after those three years, I, I wanted more human company, so I moved into a share house. Right, that was the biggest mistake of your life, that. was it? Was that the biggest mistake of your life, moving to a share house? No, I no. learned about communal living. I learned how to cook for yeah. large groups of people, so it was not uh-huh. all bad. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
I met a lot of people. Yeah, sounds and uh, we did a campaign um, for public transport. Right. Um, and um, oh, you got against... buses in Brisbane. What do you? What do you? What do you need anything else? Well, you might remember <laughs> being a, an ex University of Queensland student. Yes. There was almost no buses ever went to Saint Lucia, the campus. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And we used to hitchhike from the hitching rail out there in front of the Department of Agriculture. That's right. Everyone used to just line up and people would pick you up and take you to the train at, at Tuong or take you to a bus and it, yeah. or go, take you to the city. So that's well, there was no tra- public transport in those days. But yeah. our big concern then was, you'll remember, in California, they ripped up all the railways and the, mm. the big oil companies and the big tyre companies built freeways and the same thing happened here in Brisbane. Mm. It was called the Wilbur Smith Scheme. Oh, the great Wilbur Smith Scheme, yep. Yep, and they they wanted to build all these freeways and it led to what is now famously known as the the Battle for Bowen Hills. Mm. Tell us about the Battle for Bowen Hills. They wanted to build a southeast freeway, which they did construct, and also a northern freeway to go up to the north coast. And um, unfortunately for them, the Department of Main Roads owned all the houses in Bowen Hills, a lot of them on this route, mm. and they wanted to kick all the tenants out, mm. and the tenants resisted. And so a group of us from the university uh, went and assisted the tenants, and um, so they called in the cops and, and started evicting people and arresting people. Mm. Uh, but the resistance was strong enough that in the end, mm. uh, by the time Tommy Wren became the Minister for Local Government in 1972, he then said, no, we won't build that freeway on the north side. And, that, and there's no freeway there even to this day. Yeah. Well, you had to rely on the Whitlam Labor Government, didn't you? Yeah, was this? These, these are the heady days of Ross. Uh, we relied upon our own. I understand. Own. I understand. But they actually made that final decision. Uh, but well, I'm talking about you know these are the. Head- Dr. N knew which side of his bread was buttered buttered on because when we <laughs> defied the street march ban, Tom flew up here and marched with us. Nice. Got arrested. Yep. 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 So he knew that that was the thing to do, and he was going to get. He got re-elected on the on the strength of of that stance that he took against the Bielke-Peterson government. Well, that's right. I mean, Tom Uren, he was in the old of the old Labor tradition before it was bureaucratised. So these are the glory days of Ross Hins, aren't they, as Rhodes Minister? Yeah, Minister for everything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I like the story. I don't know if it's true or not that he was pissed off about getting to his home in the Gold Coast, so he had the highway built from Brisbane to his house. Is that correct? Not really correct. He had he had a quarry, mm-hmm. and the, the the freeway went near the quarry, but not to it. Right. And that quarry was used to build the the art gallery and the um, the museum on the south bank, and then because you know it became his his trucks, they were pink. Mm. Became that they provided all the the concrete right. and all of the. Um, you know the gravel and stuff like that for that. Mm. I, I worked on that building site actually, and uh, helped put up all of the brass handrails. Right, right. So, what union were you with? I tried to join the, um, the 
Firstly, I tried to join the metal workers because they had the best award. Right. And they knocked me back. They said, no, you're, you're actually only uh, a casual. Yep. And so I went up and tried to get a ticket from the builders' labourers. Yep. And they said, well, strictly, you're not really part of our... We don't have um, any standing at that site. Right. And then eventually I was... Um, uh, I was in the AWU, right. just a miscellaneous sort of a worker. Yeah. It's funny how, you know, little moments can change trajectory in life. I remember in, I think it was 1967 or 68, I must have been 16 or 17, me and a mate, we walked up the rickety stairs to uh, ALP headquarters and we said we wanted to join the ALP, right? Yep. And we come to join the ALP and these old bastards who have been sitting there for 30 years look at it and said, oh, fuck off. We don't want any new members, especially young people. Fuck off. And that's what got me on yeah. my radical uh, bicycle in those days. Unbelievable. You had the same experience. Well, uh, not not really. I mean, Bjelke Peterson was extremely um, hard on the unions and... They were caught, you know, like I... I, I no, they, I, were caught, they were caught in their own 30s when the ALP was dominant, you know, you know, and things had changed. I was a union member throughout my working life. Right. I'm retired now. Mm-hmm. And I've been in good unions and I've been in bad unions. Right. And, um, and some of the best unions that I've been in have fought... Um, you know, they they fought along with us on the left mm. with, with some really big campaigns, you know. Mm. And but I'm not I'm not trying to. No, 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 no. no, no. But that's I mean, your experience. They, it's your experience, so it's real. Uh, some of our mates, we you know, during the SEQEB dispute in 1985, yep. they um, their union, the Electrical Trades Union, and the Trade Trades and Labor Council. Yep. They sold them out. They that's sold right. out. That was a that was a nasty work. seller. A very nasty sellout. That one. Yeah, that's right. So, so what? You worked in these type of casual, semi-casual positions all your life till you retired, or did you? No. Um, after eight years of working in those quite casual jobs, I did the public service exam, mm-hmm. and I began working as a temporary still in 1982 for what was then known as Telecom. It had been converted from PMG to Telecom. And I worked there for two years, and then my union, after Hawke was elected in 83, my union said, you've either got to employ... I was one of thousands. You've either got to employ these people or sack them, and Telecom management employed us all. Right, and how long did you stay with Telecom? Uh, I stayed with Telecom for three years, mm-hmm. and then I transferred to the Department of Social Security, right. and then I spent about 15 years working in the Australian Tax Office. Right. So you say you're a man with... Yes, the Australian Tax Office. That's when you didn't hadn't been semi-privatised. Is that correct? Um, the, the tax uh, no, office. the tax office has always been... The, the, well... There were sections of the tax office that I worked in which were privatised. Yep. That was debt collection. Mm-hmm. But I became, I eventually, like, I I sat for various exams. I got another degree mm. in um, tax law and accounting. Yep. And then I uh, became a 
executive level technical officer in the tax office, mm. and I worked in the high wealth individual section. High wealth individual. I used to have a patient who is now retired who worked in the high wealth individual section, and sometimes she'd tell me she'd be on a case for 15 to 18 months. Did yeah, you, well, did you have cases like that? Um, no, well, I don't want any specific details, but cases that just went on and on and on because it was so complex. Well, I overheard my boss trying to farm off, get get out of taking a case regarding the Murdoch family. <laughs> and I happened to sit right near my boss and I yes. said, I'll take it. He'll take it. And it went all the way to the High Court. And what happened in the High Court? Who won? The, the tax office had very, very good lawyers. Right. Um, but uh, uh, Dame Elizabeth Murdoch won the case. Ah, of Cruden Farm fame, yep. That's right, yes. She so won the case after all that big, effort. She was, you know, in the... She was, a Victor, she was a victim of Victorian values. Her husband, Keith, yes. gave her the rights to income mm. but wouldn't give her the rights to the ownership of... Uh, property capital. That's right. And um, uh. so now her her son Rupert tried to correct that. This is all in the public domain. Yeah, by yeah, the way. yeah. That's fine. Yeah, and yeah. Um, he tried to correct that, and so he gifted her eighty five million dollars. Mm. And um, and I assessed that as being income according to ordinary concepts. Right. Because he was compensating her for. The, really, the mistake of her of her her husband. Yep, and uh, it went all the way to the high court, but the high court found that it was not income according to uh, ordinary concepts. So, so, so what was, what year was that? That what year uh, what year that was the, the high court, court high court case? Uh, that would have been uh, nineteen ninety nine, I think. So many of these judges would have been appointed during the Fraser era, wouldn't they? Uh, no, there were Labor judges on the bench then. Were they? You know, and, like, they um, and they found, oh, well, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Bit of duchessy. The only, the only judge in the High Court who was ever worth anything Lionel Murphy. was Lionel Murphy. Yep, yep, yep. That yep. other guy um, uh, who found, uh, you know, for a number of civil liberties cases, he was pretty good, but he yeah. was not like Lionel. See, Lionel Murphy didn't really believe in the legal system. No. And so his judgments were not based on, no. you know, the, the, the sort of... They were based on real things. Yeah, like, like his, his decision. He was the only dissenting judge in the uh, case which the Defence of Government Schools took to the High Court regarding the state giving money to private schools, which was lost, uh, I think, six to one, and he was the only dissenting voice. Well, yeah. he paid the price, handed to to his do- to the to the deaf to his deaf poor old Lionel. Now, yeah. getting back to you, obviously you survived. When yep. did you retire? I didn't retire. I was sacked by the Howard government. You were sacked. You were senior enough to be sacked. Yeah, that's right. I was sacked. I, it, my my case uh, went all the way to the Industrial Relations Commission. Commission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is the high, if you look it up, the Australian Tax Office versus yep. Kerr, yep. C-U-R-R, yep. you'll see that I, I'm the definitive case on disrespect of management. <laughs> you didn't learn anything, did you, mate? No. You no, haven't learned enough. anything. 
disrespected management. Did you? Right. Did, did you? It, it reminds you of these zero tolerance signs you see everywhere because there's so much underlying anger regarding bureaucracy and government and corporations. Yeah. So you'd, how did you disrespect them? Did you take your pants off in the middle of a meeting? Or did you no. mumble under your breath? What did you do? I circulated a Dilbert cartoon mm. and one of the senior managers mm. thought that I had um, manipulated the cartoon mm. to, to make it look like it was him. Right. But, I, but I hadn't. Right. Um, and basically what the cartoon said was yeah. the, the boss, you know, I'm a technical officer, the boss would just call you into his office and he would say to you, look, um, you, I'll dictate, uh, you know, your judge, you know, I have to write really rulings, mm. I'll dictate your ruling and, um, and, and you'll just write it down, you know, you just, and, uh, and then I'll sign it. Right. And uh, this boss, it, he, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Management doesn't know technical matters. Right. And uh, anyway, this boss took it as being him, not, you know, behaving correctly. And uh, but I hadn't manipulated the cartoon; it was just a fluke, you know. Yeah. yeah so whoever did Dilbert yeah. cartoons had got yeah. it on. I wrote to the guy and said this had happened because mm-hmm. I got the pink slip. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, Dilbert gave me a pink slip. And uh, one of the uh, Murdoch journalists picked up the story and published it, actually. Mm. Anyway, but uh, so I went to court and they did. The court found that um, there had been some disrespect of me. Right. Like, for example, they asked one manager what what was going on in, in my section. And he, he said, look, um, it, not, nothing really bad was going on in that section that a little bit of um, uh, 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 psychotropic drugs wouldn't fix. You know, you <laughs> administer some drugs to Mr Kerr and he'll be all right. He'll be all right, yeah. He'll be all right. A little bit of counselling yeah, and a yeah. few psychotropic drugs. Yeah, was, what, was he right or wrong there, uh, Ed? Oh, well, it's not for me to say. <laughs> I, I, Did you get I, a payout at least? No, I... I, I what, they wouldn't even pay you out? Did you lose all your super and everything? I lost um, part of my pension, but I was before pension. I was before pension age. Right. You know my super. So I was sacked when I was fifty-three. Oh, two years so before I, the magic moment. And yeah. I spent all my money yeah. um, fighting them in the court. Oh god! And so I basically, um, my partner supported me in those two years. Right. So after that, were you kind of unemployable? After that, I tried to get several jobs, but they were only like labour hire jobs, and yeah, you know the yeah. contract was up. They just get rid of you. Yeah, yeah. So when did you retire? Well, I ne- I haven't retired, Joe. No, not um, from life, from paid work. <laughs> Nobody well, retires I'm, from life until they're dead. Even if you watch no, TV, well, I, you know, like you said at the beginning, I, mm. I worked at Triple Z for ten years, and um, and now I work at Four PR Voice of the People. All right, let's go back to – let's do Triple Z. Ten years. What did you do at Triple Z? I had a program called The Paradigm Shift. Ah, oh, yep, I remember that program. Covered um, current affairs yep. and we'd interview people and mm-hmm. we'd select a theme for each week and it would do an hour show. Mm. 
and uh, we were basically supporting left-wing causes, I suppose, for yep. want of a better phrase. Yep. And um, so, yeah, that, that's what happened. I did that for 10 years. 10 years. Yep. So what? Did you get a tap on the shoulder at the end of 10 years? No, on International Women's Day in 2021, yep. I played on the show eight uh, interviews or speeches with women mm-hmm. involved in that, the celebrations for International Women's Day in that year. Yep. And um, uh, halfway through the program, the manager of news at 4 Triple said, Busted into the studio like mm. you are sitting there now. Mm. Only I was doing my own panelling. Yep. And um, said, "You can't play that. That person's a turf." <laughs> uh, I think that means a <laughs> trans exclusionary radical feminist. That's right. That's right. And I said, "No, no. This is reportage. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just playing the interview. Yes. <laughs> like I'm just here as a reporter." Yep. Yep. And. Uh, I said, look, if you want me to desist, yes. you know, like the person said, look, you've got to stop. I hope you're not going to play any more of that stuff. I said, look, I'm happy to break the show. Yep. You're the the uh, manager of news. Come in yep. and I'll interview you and you can give your side of the, A the story. argument. No, that's not good enough these days, I know. No, the person agreed. I agree. Yep. Yeah, agreed and said, just give me a couple of minutes. Yep. The person left. And then didn't come back, so I played the rest of the um, yep. uh, the speeches, including a speech given by a trans person. Mm-hmm. And um, when I walked out of the studio, I walked up the stairs because we had to upload all of our programs yep. for the podcast. And the station manager fronted me at the top of the stairs and said, um, "I'm I'm suspending you." And uh, you will have to go through a process um, with the station management. Mm, um, sounds like re-education here, Ian. Very, very similar to re-education. <laughs> so, uh, oh, for being a, a reporter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Look, I understand. Of... I think a lot of community radio stations have lost the plot, and I've continued to say this. Um, three, I have so, to say this, yeah, though, for yeah. the manager, yeah. I think... From her, from her perspective, mm. the actual manager's perspective, mm. if if she believed that the station couldn't mm. support, you know, one speech out of eight or two speeches mm. out of eight, mm. and she felt that it was in contradiction to the purposes of the station, mm. which she clearly did, it was her duty to act and not to not to wait, mm. unlike three CR. When complaints have been made to, to 3CR, they they go into this bureaucratic process. So mm. I think what she did was, it may not have been fair to me as a reporter, but mm. at least she did act according to her own principles. But and look, look, I, no, 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 I, I disagree. You, look, when you're in a community radio station, you don't act according to your principles, you act according to the constitutional arrangements. It's like any organisation. You know, um, people make... People make executive decisions and committee decisions which sometimes are outside the constitutional um, parameters of an organization and that's yep. and, and that's when that type of thing happens but let's let's move on so where have you moved to I'm on 4PR voice of the people what are they 
Never podcast. heard of them. What are they? Uh, 4PR Voice of the People is a podcast channel. You can get it on any of your favourite podcasting platforms. Uh-huh. And we we do interviews. For example, I'm going to be covering the ALP National Conference here at the Convention Centre right. in August, in, in, in late August. Yep. Um, there, and we're going to, there's going to be protests inside and outside that conference mm-hmm. against the AUKUS agreement. There's going to be protests against the lack of, of action on climate change um, on a whole, you know, we don't want to go to war with China. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that I'll be covering that, that conference. So you're, Hopefully, yep. I'll get on the inside as well as being on the outside where the protests are. Right, right. And oh. I, we happen, through a, an organisation that I'm part of, Left Press, we provide the speaking equipment for those demonstrations. Mm. And we've done that in right. late 80s. So most of the left-wing demonstrations in, in south-east Queensland, Brisbane, the PA system is provide, one of our resources that we provide that. Right. Now, could you tell me, what's the podcast channel again? It's 4PR, yep. Voice of the People. Right. Okay. So PR can stand for anything. People's Radio, yep. Pirate Radio. Well, were you, were radio. you involved in setting it up or was it there and you moved into it? No, no. We set it up in 1978, I think it was, or 77, mm-hmm. when Bjorki Peterson banned street marches and yep. we... Used to transmit from Mount Cutha. Yes, I remember. Uh, pirate, pirate, a, pirate, pirate transmissions, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we ran that. people for the board of 4ZZZ because we believed that 4ZZZ, in order to go to get a higher power licence, they had banned two crucial mm. radio programs. One was um, mm-hmm. uh, Megahertz, the women's mm. program, and the other one was the Civil Liberties Program, mm-hmm. and uh, they said they didn't want to upset the uh, Fraser government, mm-hmm. and so we campaigned. We got one person on the board, but wasn't enough, mm-hmm. and so we didn't get any voice on Four Triple Z. But but, just... you, but but you did you did spend ten years at Four Triple Z. Yeah, thirty years later. Thirty years later. Yeah. yeah. Now uh, look, we have got two minutes. Tell us about this virtual Cuban dream. Yes. Um, the, what we're doing is, this is our second year, we, we ride a virtually from, from Canberra to Cuba, mm-hmm. to Havana. Mm-hmm. We raise money, and that money goes to people sponsor us. So there's 63 riders. We've covered nearly 15,000 kilometres already, and the people sponsor us, and we give that money to assist uh, with medical, the, the making of medical um, equipment right. and um, for a, um, a, a sort of like a, a kindergarten school for, for kids in, mm. in Cuba. So how long and, have you been involved with the uh, uh, Cubans? Well, the Australian Cuba Friendship Society has been running in, in Brisbane since mm. the early 1980s. That's right, yep. And... Um, uh, there were several unions involved in that, and mm. I've never been really closely associated with it, but I've always supported it. And, um, and of course, friends have, mm. have been involved in it, and they've been travelling backwards and forwards to Cuba. And, mm. you know, basically, I mean, I grew up the same time as you, so I remember the, uh, the revolution, 
Yep. I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yep. I remember the U.S. government trying to kill Fidel Castro. Yep. And I always was sympathetic to the Cubans from way back. I, I, you know, they, if they wanted to have a revolution, good on them. Yeah. All right. Look, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Ian. Look, if there's somebody listening to the program and they're interested in uh, radicalism in uh, Queensland and Brisbane, any suggestions, any websites they should go to? Uh, workersbushtelegraph.com.au Right. And uh, that's where uh, we cover a lot of different issues current and also across Australia-wide, but there's a focus, you know, understandably on on Queensland, but uh, Mm. we are the Red North after all. You were the Red North. (laughs) You were the Red North and you were the home of the Red Steer. But those well, days have changed. People, who are the people who <laughs> challenged the federal government yeah. at the detention centre in in Kangaroo Point? Yes, challenged, challenged them to the extent that the, all of those people, those refugees, were released. Yeah, yeah. It was done here, not down there. It was here. Oh well, kind of. I don't want. I don't want to play parochial politics. All I can say is we're all on the same page. We're all fighting for similar things. So thank well, you very yeah. much for uh, chatting with us. Uh, Mr. Ian Curse, C-U-R-R-R, look him up on the virtual world and you'll see all the horrible things and wonderful things he's done in his life. And I must go, when I finish here, I'm going to speak to... Yeah, thank you. When I finish here, I'm walking down to Inez, I'm going to to berate her for telling me you're a lovely bloke. You're not. That's right, and thanks for playing Margaret Roadnight in your intro. Well, we actually interviewed her. If you go to our podcast, you'll find her interview. I'm going to look it up. Okay, all the best. Thank you very much, Ian. Look after yourself and keep fighting. Yep. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.